This is the first of three discussions on male and female relationships. One of the things that is very obvious is that the church is not just a whole lot different than the rest of society. The same pathologies that are happening in the rest of the society are in the church, and that's because we don't use God's word because the rest of society ridicules us when we use God's word. And ridicule is very powerful. Nobody likes to be ridiculed. So what they've done is they've managed to move us off of the Word of God in our relationships. What we hope to do in the next few days is get ourselves back into the Word of God. And most of you are mature believers, so we're not giving you anything that you probably haven't read, but we hope to be able to give you a different perspective on it. One of the things that Jill and I said early on is this is a Bible study, this is not a counseling session. What we're going to do is give you tools that you can take, and if we do it as well as we hope to do it, you should be able to use them in your own marriage to counsel your children as they seek husbands and wives and so forth. But if you need counseling in your own marriage, get it, by all means. But that's not what the purpose of these next three evenings is. This isn't a counseling session. It, it's a teaching session. We divided it roughly into three subjects. And the first one tonight, Jill will actually do most of the teaching. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the different languages of men and women. Men and women, thank God, are very different. They don't look at the world at all in the same way. So what we're going to do is we're going to explain the differences in the way men and women approach everything. And it's pretty fundamental. When we get done with that, the next step in the process is back in the fall, maybe September, October, we did a midrash in here on the Proverbs 31 man, which is to say all women get sort of hammered with Proverbs 31. This is your mark on the wall, babe. Here's what we expect of you. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Proverbs 31 from the perspective of what does the man look like who has ordered his household so that his wife is able to do all of the things that a Proverbs 31 woman does. And what we'll see is there's some real clues in that proverb as to what the man looks like. And that second thing is by way of instruction. The first one is by way of explaining the differences in some of the pathologies and communication and so forth that happen because of the difference. The second one is how do you organize things? And then the third one, for lack of a better term, we'll call Pigs in the Parlor, just because that's a book I just finished reading. And these first two hours assume that both of you have goodwill, that you don't hate each other's guts, but you just want to get things better. And, and assuming that you do things better together, the other one will respond in a positive way to changes that each of you make. So the first two hours assume a basic goodwill. The third hour, we're going to talk about some of the pathologies that come in, and the pathologies are obviously because of the fact that we're fallen human beings. And then on top of that, we get help from unclean spirits. So what we'll do is we'll talk about some of the pathologies there with an idea of helping you avoid that. And with that, Jill, you ready to go? What I'm going to be talking about, and this is 
certainly aimed at everybody, but most specifically, I'm talking to the women in this group. And a lot of this information is coming from a series of books called Love and Respect by a Dr. Emerson and Sarah Egrich. And certainly it's not 100% on the mark, but there are some nuggets in here that have tremendous wisdom behind them. And what the basic premise is from this individual, and actually it's a husband and wife team, is the issue of love and respect, and it's coming from Ephesians 5. And I know most of you are very, very familiar with Ephesians 5. You've read it probably a ton of times. I am going to take a moment and read verses 21 through 33, because that's kind of the springboard we're going to be jumping from. Starting in verse 21, and I'm reading from Revised Standard. It's the one I grabbed tonight, so I'm sure you'll have a little bit different, but we'll go with this one right now. It says, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or even such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is a profound one, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Some of the key words in here, obviously, love and respect. And I think that we all are pretty clear on what love means. Certainly, we all have our ideas as to how to express love. But what's important is to understand that there is a language of love. And that language is typically a language that women speak. God made us with an ability to love that is important for us to have because as nurturers, as mothers, as wives, as caretakers, love is fundamental to the jobs that God created us to do in life. One of the biggest mistakes that our society has done and has portrayed a lie that many of us have unfortunately bought into to one extent or another, and it's nobody's fault. I mean, we've been hammered on this one for decades at this point. And John so aptly said it, you all know the song, All You Need Is Love. Well, let us set that one aside for a moment and consider that maybe that is not all that we need. The other word in Ephesians 5 that is mentioned specifically in verse 33 is respect. And I'll read it again. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's a word of stumbling to our society. I took the time to look up in Webster's Dictionary what the word respect means. And it is a word that has a number of definitions to it. Esteem is one. Reverence is another. Deference is another. And we have been very, very carefully taught that in this day and age, 
these kinds of things are earned kinds of responses from the people that are around us. If you look carefully at Ephesians chapter 5:33, it does not say and wives make sure that your husbands earn your respect. There's no earning of respect there. One of the things that this book does that I think is an interesting one is it talks about the whole issue of unconditional love and unconditional respect. And what that's going to take us into is something called the crazy cycle. But before I go there, I just want to point one other thing out to women. Lest you think that respect is something that you are totally unfamiliar with, I want you to go back for a moment and think about when you were courting your husbands. The kinds of things that were happening inside of you when you spent time with the person that is now your husband. I kind of went through this myself, and I began to think and realize that there are a lot of behaviors that we exhibited at that time that we didn't specifically think about. They just happened. When you were courting, what kind of signals did you give to your husband that in turn showed him that, wow, she thinks I'm something special. Maybe this woman is the one. The words that came to my mind, respect was number one, but appreciation, belief in who he was as a man, complimenting him in his strengths, encouraging him. These are all active behaviors that if you think about when you were courting your husband, chances are really, really good that you were in those behaviors in a consistent basis. Every time you were with him, because he would be doing things that you just thought were terrific. That's what drew you to him. And so that response was elicited almost naturally. And then on the other side, in courting, when you responded to his behaviors in that way, in turn, what happened? The question is, what did the man do in response to give you the cues to let you know, this guy thinks I'm something special? Maybe there's something more here than has ever been here before. He would be maybe exhibiting behaviors such as attentiveness, tenderness, chivalrousness, if I can say that correctly. It was a loving attitude. But if one of you failed to exhibit those things, chances are the relationship would not have gone any further. There was an interaction there that was very special, and that's what led you I would say, into marriage. Now let's fast forward and look at what your life is like now with your husband. Chances are, if you've been married for any length of time, you probably have kids, you've got a home, jobs, responsibilities maybe with extended family, you've got complicated lives. And the question is, what has happened to those initial feelings? And I'm not talking about the initial flush of romantic love that people feel. Over the years, that ebbs and flows. But what has happened to the core of your relationship? And that's where we're going right now with the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle is based on a breakdown of an understanding of fundamental difference between a man and a woman. And I would venture to say that if I put the question out there, what is the key to a good marriage? Most people, if they thought about it for a second, there's one word that would pop up. I'm going to throw it out there. What word do you think it is? Communication. And I'm not going to slam communication for what it is. But in order for 
effective communication to happen, you've got to be talking the same language, don't you? I mean, if one person is speaking Swahili and the other one's speaking Norwegian, I don't care how many words are coming out, you're not going to get far. The same thing can be said about men and women. There's a language of love that I think most women here, when I say that language of love, there is a fundamental understanding of what that means to a woman. And I'll just throw this one out here, and I'll let you fill in the blank. If you loved me, you would fill in the blank. That's a language of love. Maybe it's, well, if you loved me, you would have known that I wanted you to take out the trash, you know, or something along those lines. Most women have a real good concept of what that means. Men, on the other hand, do not approach life, do not speak that same language. There's a different language that men speak. It's not that I came up with this. Indeed, God came up with it, number one, because that's the way he created us, and he spells it out in Scripture. And what's interesting about this book, Motivating Your Man God's Way, Love and Respect, is that these people that wrote it, it was a real nugget from the Lord that they came to understand this difference of language. The language of respect that men speak is one that God has put in them. And so when we talk about the crazy cycle, which is really what's at the core of their book, what they're saying is that there is a cycle that develops between a husband and a wife where the wife is speaking the language of love, the husband is speaking the language of respect, and unless one begins to decode the other's language, the cycle goes faster and faster and it spins out of control. There's no communication no matter how many words are spoken, and there's a breakdown in the relationship ultimately. That fundamentally is what the crazy cycle is. I can give you a simple example. A wife is interested in improving her marriage. There's no question. She loves her husband. They've got kids. From all outward appearances, it's a solid marriage. So she goes to her Christian bookstore, finds this book on improving your marriage. And she goes through it and sees all of these great ideas as to, oh, you know, if my husband just, if he did this, or this is him, this is him. So she gets her sticky notes out and goes through the book, puts those sticky notes in there, arrows, whatever you want to call them. And wow, this is great. So what she does is she puts it on the table next to his easy chair, thinking, well, he'll see this, he'll pick it up, he'll read it, it'll be great. Well, it sits there, and it sits there, and nothing happens with the book. So she said, ah, obviously, you know, he hasn't seen this. I'm going to put it on his bedside, next to his bed. He can't miss that. Sits there, the dust is gathering on it. She can see, no, he hasn't read it. Finally, she sticks it on his pillow, and then she just finds it under the bed. Well, that's that. Meanwhile, this is happening early fall. We've got all the wonderful feasts of the fall. We have Thanksgiving. We have all the wonderful holidays where everybody's getting together with family and everything, all kinds of great cooking, fun time. Lo and behold, middle of January comes around, and the wife is noticing her clothes are not fitting. She's put on weight. She's having a particularly bad hair day and is just one of those days. And so... In the presence of her husband, she says, I just can't believe it. I put on 15 pounds. I just feel awful. Ugh, look at me. And so the husband thinks, ah, okay, she has a problem here. He goes out and buys a book on dieting. 
and brings it back and underlines all of the appropriate passages as to the ways to motivate yourself to lose 15 pounds. Hands her the book, thinking, ah, oh, I've solved her problem. Now, I don't have to tell you what her reaction is going to be to the book. You all know that she's going to go through the roof. Did he get her that book necessarily to make her go through the roof and blow up and feel terrible about herself? Of course not. Not if he's a husband of goodwill. But this is a, a good example of the language difference, the language of love versus the language of respect. Where do we go from here? So we acknowledge that there is a fundamental difference between men and women. What do we do with that? It's one thing to know about a problem. It's another to actually deal with it. I think that most of us have personal experience in the area of communication with our husbands, and I'm talking to wives at this point. I can think back to when my kids were little. I'm home with babies and dirty diapers and everything else. Ray comes home, and all I want to do is say, oh, the baby's been throwing up all day. Everything's all over the floor. I haven't had a chance to cook dinner. Off I go with the list of problems that I've had during the day. And then on top of that, I'm not even thinking about the day that he had. So we set up this situation where the wife just wants to dump, right? It's not that she necessarily wants her husband to solve all these problems, because chances are they're not really solvable. But she wants to dump. Meanwhile, her husband, after his day at work, and all that that involved, his responsibilities, the ups and downs, the, the stresses of his day, he wants to come home, maybe have a few minutes of quiet to kind of change gears, and he comes home to the uproar. Now, is there a question of whether the husband loves the wife or the wife loves the husband? No. But you can see where there can be a breakdown here. Let's say for a second that the wife is really stressed out over her day. He's stressed out over his. He has forgotten to pick up the dry cleaning. That was something he was going to do. It was an honest mistake. He was busy. It was a terrible day. Next thing you know, she's just, well, you never do anything for me. How could you have forgotten that? That's the one thing I asked you to do. Now, is she telling him that she doesn't love him? No. But is she respecting him in this instance? No. Now, what is his response going to be to this? Is he going to respond back with the same amount of words and diatribes and everything else? No. Chances are what's going to happen is he's going to clam up. He's going to go find a quiet corner and say, take a deep breath and just what this book says does the honorable thing because the alternative would be an out-and-out -out battle. So now we have the issue of communication. It's not an issue of love, but it's an issue of communication. So we've got a log jam here. What are we going to do, ladies? We can continue on this, and next thing you know, we've gotten into an attitude of what really has to be called contempt of our husbands. It's not that there's not love behind it, but what's ending up happening is that we have words of contempt coming out of our mouths. We all know that our words have power, but when we're into that contempt, 
There is damage being done beyond what we can even imagine. Why does God tell us in Ephesians 5, not women love your husbands, but wives respect your husbands? The key to understanding this is God made us a certain way. The love part is built in. None of us have to be taught to love. What we have to choose to do, and this is an obedience issue, we have to choose to respect our husbands. And we have to take the first step in this. And it's not an easy step to take if you're going by the ways of the world. What does that mean? Let's contrast what we just talked about with the woman just kind of just letting it all hang out. It all flows out of her mouth, and boom, it's out there. It's not that she necessarily meant malice to her husband, but the damage was done. Let's, let's rewind that one. And let's say, is there an alternative to what had just happened? Because we can see with her contempt, with her diatribes against him, that's going to trigger a behavior from him that is going to cause him to withdraw. It's going to cause him to get quiet. It's going to ultimately cause him to choose not to act in loving ways. So who ultimately gets hurt by the lack of respect? So if we rewind this, and instead of the lashing out and just dumping, if instead of behaving in that way, we choose another way, what is ultimately going to happen? We're going to open up a new form of communication that's going to be effective. And I'll use that word hesitantly because there's been way too much emphasis put on it. But ultimately what's going to happen, women, is that if you can hold your tongue and not go down that path with your husband right away, or at any time, basically, and instead respond in a, in a respectful way, that cycle is going to end up being broken. Um, one of the things that Jill, being a woman, isn't saying yet, which I, I will, men organize their lives based on respect. And if two men were to get into each other's face, what you are setting up is a fight. When men communicate, they typically do it shoulder to shoulder. And women use more words than men every day anyway, which is the way God made you. and uh, Not a problem. But what you'll find is if you talk side by side with him, as opposed to in his face, the reaction will be different. Because men communicate just as profoundly as women do, but they do it very differently. And to a man, when someone is in his face, what it says is, you've got to make a fundamental decision. Do I want to fight? This is at a gut level. This is not on an intellectual level. You have to make a decision. Am I, am I going to fight? Most of the time, men will say, no, I don't want to fight. So what they'll do is they'll back off, which to them is saving the situation. What it does for the woman, though, is he's ignoring me. He's pulling back. He's not listening to me. And it's a fundamental difference so that if you are in his face talking, he will read that most often as disrespect. A man would not talk to me that way. So if you want to talk to him, and there's nothing wrong with talking. Talking's great. And the other thing is give him a signal whether you actually want him to solve your problem or whether you want him to listen to your problem. Give him some kind of a signal. Men solve problems. You come to me with a problem, I'll solve your problem. That's what I do. Great points, and I appreciate you bringing them up. 
One of the things that occurs to me in all of this, and it's tied to the issue of respect, we are taught in our society that people have to earn respect. And certainly in the business world, that's an operative tenet that in the business world, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that uh, as somebody's climbing up the ladder, there's going to be an issue of earning respect, and it has to do with track records and everything else. Even in the business world, respect is yours to lose. And so way. if you go into a new job, people typically assume that you can do it, and it's yours to lose. So earned is not quite the right word. It's built in, but it can be lost. Definitely, definitely. One of the examples that's used in here is military, which I think is a very clear one, where the most effective military leaders don't browbeat and denigrate their troops if they want to motivate them to win a battle. Yeah, they can be hard-hitting, and I'm not the one to really address this, John is, but since, <laughs> since I'm sitting here, for women to understand, it's, it's certainly very clear that the greatest leaders are those who treat their troops with respect in the midst of some of the greatest challenges that are out there. Going back to Ephesians 5, and this is where I can, I can say myself, it, it's had been over the long term, it's been, it's been difficult for me to understand really what God means by showing your husband respect. And the reason it's been hard for me I think, is because of the immersion in the society that I've grown up in. Uh, I, I was a child growing up through the 60s and, and heard probably every feminist in the world tell me that, you know, women are equal, women are equal. Do not, for a moment, let go of that. Um, <coughs> submission is, is, is a sh a, a showing that uh, you do not believe in equality. And you all have heard this. You all understand. But what has happened is there's been, because of, of the length of time now, we are talking about not just one generation. We're talking about several generations of women who have been steeped in this to, to a large extent. And it's not just women. I correct myself. It's the entire society. Men have been equally affected by this. And it has been so damaging. If you consider for a moment, women, if you could put yourselves in men's shoes, and if you could turn this around and imagine how you would feel inside if you essentially have been told that you are superfluous in this society, except for the most basic of procreative actions. Now, I don't know about you guys. Well, yeah, I do, because I know all of you, and I know how you feel. This is such an evil lie that flies in the face of what God tells us in Scripture, and yet we are living in a world where this has become the norm. So what do we do with this? We can either choose to listen to the world, or we can choose what God has laid out for us. And ultimately... Where's the blessing going to be? And I know you already know this. There's a, a scripture that I came across. It's Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And one of the things that has happened with our society is that we have set up a destructive, self-destructive situation with the whole issue of... <sighs> 
equal rights, the feminist movement, whatever you want to call it. Because what we have done is we have told women that their place that God created for them, and he created us exactly the way he wanted us to be, that this is worthless, that being a wife, being a mother, making that our highest calling, being the helpmate to our husbands, that it's, it's, it's worse than, than nothing. It's actually denigrating to us. And therefore, anyone who chooses that path is obviously not a woman of, of any worth. Now, how do we deal with that? And then, of course, what John and I were talking about before uh, we started tonight, the damage that this has done to men is immeasurable. It is so deep. And ultimately, the only way that I think this can all be rectified is going back to what God has for us and what his promises are and returning to him. So getting back to the beginning here, what do I do with the word respect? What does it mean to respect your husband? What it means to me at this point, after going through all of this, is, again, reflecting back what it was like in courtship, what came naturally, and then thinking about ways to reinstitute that in my day-to-day walk and my day-to-day life with my husband. It means that we appreciate and demonstrate appreciation with our words. And it doesn't mean that you use a thousand words to say it. It means that we're going to cultivate an aspect, an attitude of respect towards our husbands. And that cultivation, and I'm using that word because it is going to bear fruit. And this is, this is where the blessing is going to come in. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Who is the foolish woman? What is the foolish woman doing? Does anybody have any thoughts on that one? There's a difference between roles and worth. God put men and women in two different roles. And the example that I use is a football team. The quarterback calls the plays. Not because the quarterback is the smartest guy on the team, not because he's the best athlete, not because he's got the biggest depth of understanding about football, he calls the plays because the coach says so. And that's just the way it is. So it's a role thing. One of the things that we are, men and women, are two halves of a whole. And one of the things Jill and I were talking about tonight, you know, our society has done really, really evilly. And, and the question is, who benefits besides Satan? And the answer to that is irresponsible men. What that means is you have a tremendous number of 30, 40, and 50-year-old boys. These are not men, they're boys. And they haven't got past the junior high school phase of their relationship with women, you know, serial monogamy, treating women like ashtrays, whatever you want. But those are the people who benefit from the status quo. And what they have learned how to do is they have learned how to speak the language of love. And one of the things that it says in Scripture over and over again is the woman was deceived. One of the jobs of men is to take a role between the women they love and the men who would deceive them for nefarious purposes. 
And of course, the problem is the society tries to get men out of that role. A woman on her own is a target. So what they're trying to do is separate women from the men who love and protect them. And they use deception. Each of us has our own weakness. Each of us has our own flaws, perhaps the wrong word, but responsibility. And it's the responsibility of the man to put a stop to the deception and protect the women he loves. The vulnerability of a woman is, in a sense, this vulnerability to deception when someone can speak the language of love, which is her native language. And somebody can speak that very well. It talks to her heart, and she can be deceived. And if you don't believe it, just look at all of the one-bedroom apartments in Longmont that have single mothers in them, with live-in boyfriends, and what you're seeing is serial deception. I just have two other points that I want to bring out. So what do we do with this? We get back to the respect thing, and we have to make a choice, ladies. When I was talking about Proverbs 14.1, we have to choose if we're going to build our house or we're going to tear it down. The choice really hinges upon whether or not we're going to be obedient to Scripture. Are we going to choose what God tells us to do? And we all know that when we walk in God's obedience, he blesses us. We all want blessed marriages. We all want to experience our husband's love. But could it be that the roadblock between our receiving that love and that blessing be that we are not demonstrating our respect for our husbands? And I submit to you that this is the key to understanding how to regain that closeness. Love and respect go together in the way that a husband and wife are bound together. It's a completion. It's not enough just to have love. It isn't. Yes, you can have unconditional love, but it's not enough. Nor would it be enough. Why is it if your husband just said, oh yeah, I respect her, but do I love her? No. Is that going to do it? No, of course not. That's not the union of a man and a woman together in marriage. We need both. And that's why both are explicitly explained and laid out for us in Scripture. And what is most interesting is that women, we are the ones called to respect because love is a built-in thing for us. Love comes without thinking. Men, on the other hand, respect as is laid out in this book, that's their language. And so respect comes naturally for men. And certainly you can respect a lot of people in a lot of different ways. You choose who you love very carefully. But when we're looking at the marriage union, we must have both. One can't stand alone without the other. The other thing I was going to mention is Women, there's power here that maybe you don't recognize or you haven't thought about before. You have the power to, as they say in this book, energize your husband to love you if you begin to speak that language of respect to him. There is real power there. There are examples in this book of marriages that have been turned around because women begin to speak that language. They begin to speak in terms of respect, in terms of admiration, in terms of admiring their husbands as the men that they are. One of the things that I read in another book that really struck home to me, this whole thing with equality, if you think about it, do you want to be the one that provides the covering for your husband? 
Do you want to be the one that provides for your family? Do you feel in your deepest soul, is that what God called you to do? Is that what marriage is all about for you? I think most of us, if not all of us, would very rapidly say, of course not. That's not what marriage is all about. That's not what my relationship is with my husband. So the answer then is, okay, then stop acting like that's what you want. And maybe you haven't even put it in those terms before, but the words that come out of your mouth as you chase after your husband, nipping at his heel, as, as John said, if that's what's coming across to him, then whether that's what you meant or not, it doesn't matter. That's the way it's being received by him. So if that's not what you're looking for, then it's time to reinstitute that aspect of respect. And the last thing I'll say is this is not a manipulation issue. Yes, there's power there. There's power to change your marriage. There's power to change your relationship. But the power is not to be used in a manipulative way. And that's very clear. This is an obedience thing. Ultimately, if you can't respect your husband, it's not your husband's problem. It's your problem between you and God. You're being disobedient to God. And I think conversely, men, if you can't love your wife, the problem is not with your wife. It's with your obedience to God. And when you put it in that context, maybe it's more helpful in terms of understanding the changes that need to be made. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I know all of you probably have already addressed all of this in your own marriages, but it was important, I think, enough to to reiterate tonight. So I, I don't think I've got anything else. I want to reiterate something Jill said, perhaps in slightly different words, but same message. Men, if you don't treat your wives lovingly as demanded in Scripture— the fact that you are an unloving man is a problem between you and God, and he will deal with that. Similarly, women, if you don't treat your husband in a respectful manner, the fact that you are a disrespectful woman is a problem that you have with God. And in no case is it allowed that a man may cease to love his wife if she doesn't earn his love. Similarly, it is not allowed for a woman to be disrespectful to her husband if he has not, quote, earned her respect. These are unconditional. It goes both ways. Now, let's go to another scripture, 1 Peter 3. We need to spend a couple of minutes there. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. A couple of things here. First off, we have a husband who is perhaps disobedient to the word. One of the requirements of the word is that he love his wife. He may be disobedient to other things, but that's certainly one of the requirements of the word. And what it says here is that he may be one without a word. Hello. It says he may be one without chattering when he sees your respectful and pure demeanor. Now, Jill and I, again, were talking about this before they started. Both men and women in a marriage will find things about that marriage that they are not quite satisfied with, is I guess the best way to say it. So the question is, how do you deal with it? And the way a man deals with it is different than the way a woman deals with it, according to Scripture. One of the things that God does for me is he puts me in the car at odd times, and there will be something on the radio that speaks to me, and that was the case this morning. 
a pastor and his wife were talking about this very subject, and they'd been married for 35 years. And obviously, very relaxed, comfortable couple with each other. Successful 35-year marriage. And she said, well, I decided early in our marriage that I was going to be respectful, and I wasn't going to nag, and I wasn't going to try and change you. But I also felt very free to talk to the Holy Spirit about the things that I would like to see get better in our marriage. And I won't tell you what they are, but over the years, one of the things that I have noticed is the Holy Spirit has worked with you, and the things that I was dissatisfied with early on are no longer things I'm dissatisfied with. And often the way that it was fixed was not something I would have thought of, but it's gone away. Now, be careful. This is not praying against your husband. This is not praying for God to fix your husband. This is talking to God about something in your marriage that you would like to see improved. And what happens is God will listen to you if you behave in a respectful manner. God will take care of you. Different role for a man. Men are called to be more active in this sense. And one of the things we made sure we both understood, it is not the man's job to fix his wife. However, it is the man's job to lead the marriage. I said two different things there. Everybody understand that? So if the man comes home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever time he comes home and his wife has been sort of frittering away the day and dinner hits the table at 9 o'clock and by then he's starved, a man's response to that will be more direct. That's a function of roles, not a function of the relative power of men and women. It's just a difference in roles. It's important that you understand that distinction. Let's continue reading in 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me, behave this way so your prayers will not be hindered, I pay attention. Now, what's this business of the weaker vessel? And I've heard this explained half a dozen ways, and the thing we started off with is man and woman are complementary parts, if you will. Each of them supplies something that the other doesn't have. And again, one of the lies of feminism is that a woman can have it all. That's nonsense. You can't. Get over it. Ain't going to happen. Because you need the things that a man provides, and vice versa. However, if you look at the guys sitting around here, and you look at the gals sitting around here, the guys are bigger, more rugged, designed to do something different. So we're talking about a simple design there. But notice it says that you are fellow heirs to the grace of life. So it is not talking about spiritual inferiority. It is talking about physical and function. And to come back, one of the reasons that men withdraw in fights, especially when a woman is speaking disrespectfully, is simply to avoid loosening her bridge work. Because if a man came 
at another man the way many wives come at their husband, there would be perhaps a fist fight. And so what the man says is, wait a minute, there's no way I'm going to get into that kind of a fight with my wife. So the only thing at that point he can do is just withdraw. And of course she sees that as he's not listening to me. And women, when they have a problem, they want to talk about it. And that's the way God made you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a very different thing. So how do you talk to your man? I just would reiterate with this whole idea of changing. There is, I think in women, and they may not even realize it, uh, times when they really think, he would just change in this one area. That's not our job. Our job is not to make our husbands better. Like we have some concept of him being a better man that if, we, if he would just listen to us in these ways, in these areas, he would be better and the whole marriage would be better. That's not scriptural. Part of being respectful is not standing there pointing out the flaws that you see <laughs> in your husband. It's looking for the positive things that you can enumerate to him on a regular basis to build him up. Because when you build him up, ultimately you're building up your marriage. You're building up part of you because you two are inextricably linked according to God. And it's the same thing with men. If you are showing your wife love, you're loving yourself according to what God says. So ultimately, the blessing is built into that. I agree with all that. We're about out of time here. One thing I would like to say about these books, because I want it on the tape. This is not a man's book. It's written for women, and God dragged me through it by the nose. I didn't hold my nose reading it. I couldn't put it down, which tells me that I needed to read it. However, when I got into book two, by chapter 13, there was such a spectacularly bad piece of advice for women that I hesitate to recommend that you buy these books, even though there are lots and lots of very powerful things in there. And if you do buy them, book one is aimed at women, and if you want to buy it, I think it would be well done. We've got three copies here in the congregation now. If you want to borrow them, you're, you're certainly welcome to do that. Book two, be very careful with, because by chapter 13, it turns into blatant manipulation. And as I say, I want that on the tape so that it doesn't come out that we've wholeheartedly recommending these books, because I say the piece of advice in chapter 13 is so spectacularly bad. It, and with that, would someone like to close in prayer?